From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey guys, welcome back to Book Circle Online. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'm here today with Tara Eisen. Her new book is called Reeling Through Life, where she writes about movies and their impact on her life. And speaking of which, she's also the co-writer of the cult oh. classic. Yeah, oh, we got to talk yeah, about all it. Right, all right. <laughs> I wrote a book about movies. I need to start uh, owning it's that. A movie. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. tell them the title, please. Um, of the the the, the movie. The yes, movie. the big um, one. Don't tell mom the babysitter is dead. Right. Yeah. I assume it's not an autobiography. Not an autobiography. <laughs> not the title we would have liked either. Oh, but, really? Um, yeah. Apparently, they did a focus group with a bunch of twelve-year-olds. And gave them 50 titles to choose from, and that's what they chose. And what was your, like, first choice? Uh, oh, it's not a good title. The original title was uh, The Real World, or Welcome to the Real World. Not a good title. Okay. And it was right when MTV was starting with The Real oh, World. Oh, right. So, Babysitter. But that's such a memorable title, The Babysitter. Uh, the 12-year-olds know what they're doing. <laughs> what can, yeah, I guess so. Oh, my God. Well, I, th- I mean, we were going to get into it later in the interview, but look, can we stick with it? Sure. Yeah, yeah, let's get I- it over <laughs> So you wrote a movie about like the impact of movies and your love for it. Yeah. What was it like seeing like that on the big screen? I mean, we're talking about Don't, yeah, don't Tell Me the Babysitter's tell, Dead, yeah, in, dead. In, in my other life. Yeah, exactly. A million years ago. And becoming a cult classic. You know, uh, I love it. It is a cult classic now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, you know what? It was a blast. I was I wrote it with my uh, partner at the time, my writing partner, Neil Landau. Brilliant guy, amazing guy. Taught me so much about writing. Um, we were young. We were kids. We were like... We wrote the script when we were 23 or 24 years old, something like that. Wow. And it was made a couple of years later, so we didn't know anything. We were wide-eyed and innocent, and we got very lucky very quickly. Yeah. Um, we were invited on the set a lot, and we actually, when they were shooting it, they, um, we were on... Um, we were working on another script for another studio and they gave us a trailer on the set. Oh, wow. So we would go in and we would work on the script and then we would go and watch them shoot with Christina Alfelgate and then we'd scurry back to the trailer. You know what? It was a blast. It was so much fun. That's amazing. So young, too. Yeah. Yeah. So why does it bring you shame? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm trying to own it. Um, it, it. You know, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. I, you know, I love that if we want to call it a cult classic, great, I'll yeah. take it. But... You know, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, Casablanca. It wasn't. Uh, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to. Sure. Like my mind is blank. It, I'm proud of the film, and Good. what I'm proud of is I actually think it is a better film than it looks from the title. Oh, from the title. They they slanted it. They marketed it towards sort of an 11 or 12 year old audience, yeah. and. It's actually a movie that has some really amazing lessons about responsibility and maturity and family and growing up. And it's rather feminist. We have a really strong um, teenage female character who doesn't get pushed around and is smart and savvy. Yeah. And I, I actually, there's a lot to be proud of yeah. in that and, movie. And so while like, writing and working on it was... It going through your mind like the impact it was going to have on viewers oh. as like somebody no 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 oh because your whole book's about like the impact of movies. yeah I, well I'm a little older I you know a little I'm a little older now a little yeah. more introspective a little more self reflective oh sure maybe. sure but, sure um, no at the time we just I was just in awe that it was happening I had just wow. graduated from college I, I, yeah and we sort of st- it felt like we sort of stumbled into it so I. I was just amazed that this was happening, and I didn't think, I didn't think much beyond that. I never, okay. we never thought it would be a cult classic. That's someone else's term, not mine. It's, I, I would say that's like a generally accepted term, yeah. though. For it, it is, it is so weird. They, I, 
people still, when they find out that I wrote that movie or co-wrote that movie, they still quote lines of dialogue. I mean, people who were sort of my age or 10, 15 yeah. years younger, it stuck with them. Out of the blue, they'll start quoting the dialogue. And it clearly meant something to them to stick yeah. with them. And that means a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, that's that's lovely. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was before my time, but even hearing the title, I was like, oh, I think Christina Applegate's in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. something that's still, and like... she was great. Yeah. It was her second movie. Her first movie was this tiny little indie film. Um, it was her first sort of mainstream big movie, and she was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and she was and she was so impressive. She was, she was 19. She was oh, wow. incredibly professional, smart, um... She was fantastic. We were so impressed with her. Oh, funny. Yeah. Now, do you think that movies have, like, affected you more than other people or that you're just, like, more aware of it? I don't know that they've affected me more than other people. I mean, I I think we're a film culture, and I was a film generation, and I grew up in Los Angeles, and movies are in the air, and, yeah. you know, we, we breathe them in. I, I don't know that they... I think they mean as much to every. Buddy in the world, as okay. they do to me. I mean, I think that it is a, our, I guess, our vulnerability or our, our ability to be impacted, moved, influenced, engaged by film, I think is universal. I think it's part of that sort of anthropological, yeah. we are a storytelling species. But I think that the power of cinema is, um, it, it's so immersive. It's so visual. It's sensual. Yeah. It's like going to mass, I guess. You know, the, the, the sounds and the, the colors and the textures of it, I, I think that it, it touches us in a yeah. really visceral, profound way. I, I agree. I just think that I can only name maybe like five-ish movies that have like affected me. And I know I've been affected by others that I've forgotten about now. Yeah. But you name like, I don't know, like 40. 115. 115. <laughs> I bet if you sat down and started brainstorming, you would come up with a lot more okay. than five. I, so when did you draw these connections? Was I, it over time or like writing the book? Um, I think, I think because I did become a screenwriter. Right. Um, I think I started being more actively aware of the influence on film in, in a more sort of cognitive, conscious way, perhaps, because, you know, I, we would be studying film and yeah. studying the impact of a line of dialogue, studying the impact of narrative momentum and pacing, and what could we learn from that, and uh, what could we steal from that for our own screenplays. So I think I started analyzing film um, consciously, probably okay. in my you know twenties, um, when I sat down to do the, the book, the, the book came about because um, for many years people had been asking me why I was a writer and how I knew I wanted to be a writer. When did I decide I wanted to be a writer? Okay. And my usual answer was I I was such a huge reader as a kid and I loved books so much and so I started writing stories and that natural connection between being a writer and being being a reader and being a writer but then a, a couple of years ago somebody asked me this and I, I realized that I act, the real reason I became a writer has absolutely nothing to do with writing and really has everything to do with the movies because I saw this movie Julia when I was 12 13 years old where Jane Fonda was playing Lillian Hellman and there's the beach house, and she wears gorgeous clothes. And when she has trouble writing, she goes to Paris to work in a you know Parisian garret and drink red wine. And all of these other movies about writers, it just looked so glamorous. Yeah, they have you know love affairs with glamorous exotic people, and they have there's always the beach house, and they always go to Paris, and they're saving the world. And 
I fell in love. I was absolutely seduced by the cinematic images of writers. So I wanted to be a writer because of movies long before I really wanted to write. Right. I, I loved that you said that in the book, You what you just said. Like, you wanted to be the noun, but not, like, the verb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I like being a writer. I do not like writing. So, <laughs> uh, And, and if I, I knew that at some point, if I wasn't writing, they would notice. So I, in order to earn the title, in order to earn the label, um, yeah. I actually had to write something. It's kind of amazing you, like, stuck with it so long, too, though. Like, this, I want to be a writer, and didn't, like... You weren't actually writing, so it's amazing you didn't, like, leave it. I, you know what? It looked, the, the payoff just looked so gorgeous. I, I, what, nothing seemed cooler to me or more exciting or more glamorous than being a writer with a capital W. Yeah. Um, and I was so captivated by that image. I, nothing else came along to oh, um, entice me in yeah. the same way. There is something, like, very theatrical, too, about, like, the writing process. Yeah. Like, gotta put the glasses on, oh. gotta have a cup of water, yeah. Yeah. something comfortable. The ritual, or, or the bathrobe. You don't have to shower. The bathrobe, You right. just sort of tumble out of bed. And in, in movies, you know, they always have the, the old manual typewriter that's of sort course. of that great sound. Yeah. Um, and they never show... They show 10 seconds. They show the 10 seconds of the writer sort of struggling to create. And you can't show any more than that because it's boring. So <laughs> right. movies about writers, you know, other than The World According to Garp, that's the one exception. You, yeah. Yeah. Um, movies about writers don't show the writing. They show they show the beach house. They yeah. show strolling on the beach. Even like Sex in the City about a writer. <laughs> yeah. She would be like, Ugh. I remember in the moment it was like about socks and she's like, this socks. <laughs> yeah. But I like that you said too, like the things that stick with us from writing, it's or from movies, it's a line, it's a moment, it's yeah. the whole thing, it's yeah. themes. Yeah. It, like, it changes. It, yeah. And I mean, it could be a terrible movie. It has nothing to do with the quality, to me, the, the sort of artistic yeah. quality of the movie. There's, there are images, there's a sound, there's an expression on an actor's face. There's that one line of dialogue that finds its way into you and under your skin and on this sort of molecular level and stays with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's just so powerful. Yeah. I loved the effect that uh, Sarah T's movie had on you. <laughs> yeah. We have to mention that. Yeah. So you, for was it 14 months after that, you were drinking every night? I, n maybe not 14 months, maybe not that long, but my thing with Sarah T, because I think I was I was her age. I was I was maybe a, a year or two younger. So I was like 13, 14 sure. years old. Um, I came away with sort of a warped logic from that movie. Sarah T is a portrait of a teenage alcoholic. Um, one of Linda Blair's early TV movies. A very where she's young always alcoholic. being traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she was uh, 15 when she made the movie. Um, and it's supposed to be about the, the, you know, a cautionary lesson about the, the risk of teenage drinking and how um, a teenager is even more susceptible to alcoholism than an adult because mm -hmm. of the, the brain chemistry, et cetera. Um, and I came away from that movie really wanting to become a teenage alcoholic. <laughs> because and you gave it a great try. I gave it, I did my best. I did my you best. Did. It, it might have taken 30 years to take. I, we're, that's jury is still out on that. Okay, we'll um, come back. <laughs> but she it's sort of the lesson that got translated into my head was they don't make movies about normal teenage girls. They make movies about teenage girls with problems, which is what makes them special. And I was one of these sort of goody good, golden girl, easy kids. I was not a problem. I didn't create problems. And you can be a little invisible when you're the good girl. You know, you, 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 there's no room for your problems in the house because right. other people's problems are in the house. 
Um, and I wanted, I felt it would give me a distinction. I felt it would make me special. Worthy of a TV movie of the week. Yeah. So, yeah. So every night for, I don't know how long it was, I went to, I had a, a little prescription pill bottle about that big. That was empty that I stole from the medicine cabinet. And I filled it up every night with whatever I could find in the liquor cabinet, which in my household was a lot. Okay. And I gulped it down because I thought, I, great, this will, this will. Just one a night. Just one a night. That's I was so worried. That, I think I was worried that my parents would notice if I drank more than that. And did they ever find out no. about this? They didn't? No. No, oh god. My parents were oblivious. My parents were a little oblivious. I mean to not notice all that alcohol missing. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't and I don't think it was months. I think it was weeks. It was probably weeks. Weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know that you said I think it was like two weeks straight, but then I didn't yeah. know something I don't know. But then you did drink a lot on, as a child. I've been working on it ever since, yeah. <laughs> we're working on it right now. There is an essay in the book called Yeah, How to Be a Drunk, right. um, the logbook of a distinctive alcohol. I mean, everything that you said like reaffirmed what I think childhood in LA would be like. Mm. Very drunk at yeah. 14. <laughs> yeah. But the, I like that you it sound the way you like positioned it was not out of the ordinary. Like, right? You, well, it was the 70s. I mean, I, you know, every there was a lot of drinking. There was a lot there were a lot of drugs. Um, yeah. I it was I was in a very permissive household. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, um, and it, nobody, nobody. I mean, that was the thing about Sarah, the movie is nobody paid it any attention because it it didn't seem unusual. Oh, really? Yeah, for a for a teenager to be so involved. I mean, the the line was, "Well, at least she's not doing drugs." <laughs> you know, at least she's not doing something worse. It just didn't seem uh, dire. It didn't seem wow. like a real problem. And I know that we can't like keep these things like silent, like about teenage drinking. Yeah. But I remember too, like in health class, I think it was like middle school, learning about like anorexia and bulimia. Yeah. And I'm like, what's bulimia mean? And they tell you, and I'm like, oh, that's really smart. <laughs> you know, it never crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't make myself throw up after that. But I thought, oh, I could could if I never needed to. Yeah. And yeah, weird. Yeah. I think that's so interesting to. Um, Everything you talked about in How to Be a Drunk compared to, like, the good girl from How to Be Crazy. Yeah. That, like, you were worried about being, as you said, like, an inconvenience. Yeah. Because those women get locked yeah. up. The crazy women in movies, um, and I talk about this, the snake pit and Francis, um, an angel at my table, um, girl, girl interrupted, interrupted. That, yeah, that hit, that hit really home, was this idea that, that these women generally aren't crazy. They're inconvenient. They're in somebody's way. They're 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 difficult. There's a reason why somebody wants to put that label on them, um, exert that kind of power and control over them, and sign that form. I mean, to me, the most chilling moment in all of the um, going crazy movies is the moment that a family member signs the commitment form, um, because the how the person is rendered powerless at that point. Is, is absolutely terrifying to me. So in How to Go Crazy, there was always, sort of like in How to Be a Drunk, there was this allure of wanting to be a little crazy. Yeah. Because it keeps you from being boring. You know, if, yeah. you're, if you're too good a girl, if you're too well-adjusted, if you're too well-behaved, that's boring. You don't get movies made about you. You don't get stories told about you. But if you go too crazy, if you're too much of a problem, if you're too difficult, if you're too inconvenient... Um, you can get locked up and stripped of autonomy and self-determination and dignity. And that was terrifying. So I, I felt, because I've, I, there's mental illness in my family, I've had um, struggles with depression. There was always that fine line of 
not wanting to go too crazy, not wanting to wind up like Francis or Girl Interrupted or The Snake Pit or uh, these women who would be locked away and not be able to get out again. Yeah. I mean, in the way you also like wrote about it, it didn't make it seem like a like empty threat. No, Just yeah. because like psychology is scary and like the definition's slippery. Yeah. You know, a sane person and a crazy person both say, I'm not crazy. Yeah. So what's the follow-up question? Yeah. Okay, prove it. I can't, I can't prove and it. And who decides? Yeah. Who, deci- who decides? Who has the authority to sign that commitment yeah. form? Um, is, is very frightening to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, on Monday, we had um, Alexandra Fuller, an author in the studio, mm-hmm. and she said that she saw a doctor saying, I'm depressed, and um, she's saying that I'm lying to people, I had an affair, um, I'm like very sad, mm-hmm. and he was like, well, normal people aren't that, and so you're bipolar, and so I'm going to write your prescription. Yeah. And I was like, this is, this is a real doctor. Yeah. I don't know. That kind of like scared me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And then of course there's the, um, you know, the classic, um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Right. And, um, I was 11 years old when my parents <laughs> took me to see that movie. <laughs> and that scene of Jack Nicholson getting the electroshock therapy was so traumatizing to me, I, I think of any moment in the book, that is the one that people seem to come to me with okay. the most. Yeah. Uh, because they all had the same experience of being uh, an adolescent or, you know, in their 20s or 30s, whenever, however old they were when they first saw that movie. And that scene is so brutal. Um, it's a cautionary lesson. It sort of, again, speaks to that. Don't go too crazy. Right. Don't. Don't be too difficult. Don't stray too far from the good girl thing mm-hmm. um, because this this could happen to you. Um, yeah. And that's t- that's terrifying. Yeah. I didn't actually realize that electro electroshock therapy was still used. Yeah. Yeah. It's been modified a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very been, regulated. Yeah. And I, I think the efficacy has been um, legitimately established. I think it's a lifesaver for some people. You know, it's not the sort of medieval looking thing that it was yeah. in, in the movies in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Oh, a live wire, you know. Yeah. Also, I still, didn't... still scary, though. Still scary. Yeah. I think you yeah. mentioned the book that Carrie Fisher gets. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I looked her up. She gets it every six weeks, she said. I can't imagine that. That's like a, that's like almost like a, like getting a fix, you know, like an addiction. I don't know. I mean, that's very judgmental. <laughs> it very well could be that she needs it and that's why she's getting prescribed. But I just can't imagine like needing that. I, I who's to say? And, oh, not, a, not to, me. Not, not, yeah. I mean, I'm certain, I'm not a psychiatrist, no, not a shrink. Yeah. Um, all I know is what I've learned from the movies yeah. about it. And, um, it's, it's. Yeah, it's terrifying. Oh uh, yeah, we don't usually do this, but I loved the description about what you were saying about like being interesting um, at the end of like the drunk chapter and like mm. how being a teenage alcoholic gives you like something to like not be proud of, but to not yeah. be invisible about. Would you mind reading that like last paragraph? Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, it's led. What leads up to it is um, it's sort of present day, and I have a friend who's um, been sober for twenty five years, right. but very savvy about the language of alcoholism. Um, and I, in recent years, I keep going to her with evidence of the fact that I may be an alcoholic and have a drinking problem, and she keeps saying, "Nope, not convinced." Not convinced, and I, I keep telling her these stories that to me are, are questionable. Yeah, and so and why do you keep trying to convince her? There you go. To be so interesting. She, yeah. So she finally okay. said, um, um, 
perhaps I don't uh, perhaps I don't warrant the actual label of an alcoholic. I say, but can you at least acknowledge that I have a drinking problem? She agreed it was possible, and we parsed terminology: a reliance on alcohol, a dependency, an addictive habit. But she was more interested in why, not why I drink, but why I am trying to convince her. Why am I so insistent? I have a problem, and I am eleven years old again, fearing invisibility, hoping to be heard. Seeking the distinction and complexity of dysfunction and dark secrets, hoping to seem deeper and more interesting than I am, to offer evidence of the tortured artist to fulfill narrative convention, something to add a justifying glamour to my story. Right, I love that. That's so Thank like you. clear. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks. and yeah, you have some interesting connections too in there between like the tortured artist yeah. is always a drug addict or an alcoholic. Yeah, because yeah. so they're so because they're so tortured. Of it course. was interesting how much overlap there was between how, the how to be a writer essay and the how to be a drunk essay. Mm-hmm. That so many of the films about drunks, uh, the Lost Weekend, or um, not just how to be drunk, but how to go crazy. That how to go crazy and how to be a drunk. So many of those movies are about writers. And then in the How to Be a Writer essay, you know, obviously I'm talking about the images of, of writers in, in film, and, th- and there was a lot of overlap. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, you could say that being an artist, I don't know, you have to be a little bit crazy, you have to be a little bit disturbed. I don't know, that's a cliche. Yeah. I don't think you have to be. I think there are perfectly well-adjusted, genius, brilliant artists in the world. Um, or you could argue that maybe it requires a heightened sensibility, sensitivity to stimuli that is both creative and generative and at the same time um, destructive and painful. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, all like they say, like the great memoirists had like horrible childhoods. Yeah. And I guess it stood out to me just because. I never thought about the connection before because it's always been like they're together. Mm-hmm. It's the tortured artist yeah. only, yeah, or the it's trope of the vanilla. tortured artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I, th- I really like too what you were saying about how your like relationship status and like views on that is like worrisome to your friends. <laughs> um, Tell me if I'm putting like words in your mouth, but what I understand is that you don't. It's not your like lack of desire for a long term relationship. It's your um, like lack of distress. It's, it's and that's what's worrisome to people. Your lack of distress over not having one. I, I mean, that's one. Yeah, that's one way. To, one way to put it. I think, and I, I think in the book when I'm talking, and this is in the um, how to be a slut essay, yes. <laughs> um, which actually is not about uh, sex, um, but it's it is more about the one area of my life. I have not really found the cinematic role model is my choice to be a single, childless, right. um, professional, sexual woman in the world. Um, that I like having a relationship, but I'm not looking for a partnership. And I never have. I've always, I've never seen that in my life. That's never been a goal. That's never been a way I ever imagined I would live my life. And there aren't cinematic role models for that, where, right. the, where the woman who's um, single, childless, et cetera, et cetera, isn't also crazy, um, you know, psychotic. Um, 
uh, severely disturbed in, yeah. in some way. Every um, like single woman, um, like around your age in film is always like dating a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I, I like, of I course. said, I like, I like having relationships. Yeah. I like love. Yeah, you're love, not asexual. Like, <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's all, that's all great. But to me, there is a difference between having a relationship and having a partnership. And that is not a, um, that's not a perspective that I have ever seen explored in a film. The closest we could come to it would be, I think, that I talk about the, the final moments of Private Benjamin with okay. Goldie Hawn, where she rejects the marriage to the gorgeous French guy with the yeah. chateau. And we don't know what she's going to do with her life. Although, ultimately, I think she still wants to find marriage and probably have kids. Um, and maybe the best example is An Unmarried Woman, which is a classic film from the, the 70s with Jill Clayburgh, where she gets out of a marriage... Um, and she has an opportunity to form a new partnership with a gorgeous, successful, wonderful, sexy guy who adores her. And she, she's not in any hurry to do that. She has other things that are equal priority yeah. for her. And that's rather revolutionary that that is not a goal. So what does it do to a person that is so affected by what they see on screen when you don't see, like, yourself yeah, in I, that way? I think, and I, I, th- I say this in the How to Be a Slut essay, <laughs> that, I mean, I'm so impressionable. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, at 14, I want to be a teenage alcoholic because of a movie I saw. Um, so many aspects of my identity have been shaped, influenced by film for better or worse, except this one. And it's quite possible that that means it is the most authentic okay. part of who I am. That I really did have to come to that sense of the life I want to live without the influence or the conditioning or the suggestion, the suggestion or whatever it is of, of film. Yeah. Showing me that model, that that was something, you know, my whole life. I think that to come back to your question, that sort of speaks to my friends. I wouldn't say concerning because they know me really, really well. And they know that I'm really happy with my life. I really love my life. I've made I'm really happy with the choices I've made. And so I don't think they're concerned. I think some of them at some point have been puzzled because my life doesn't look like a lot of other women's. Yeah. Um, so but it might. Because it's an aspect that has not been influenced by cinematic um, models, mm-hmm. maybe it is the most authentic part of who I am. And also, it's just a theory. I have no idea. Uh, I, <laughs> I wanted no your idea. opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it almost makes it like, that much more impressive too that you even just like succumbed to you know relationship. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've like I said, I relation great on relationships. Yeah. Um, just I've never. I've, yeah, the partnership thing. It's not, I don't know, it's lots of different ways of being in the world. Yeah, so, yeah of course. So. I mean, too, like the how to be a slut and then how to lose your virginity, like the two sex-focused chapters of films were like the ones I'd seen the most of, mm. interestingly. Yeah. Is that Is a it, comment on you or a comment on me? I um, Probably me. <laughs> <laughs> These are all about you. <laughs> Yeah, that's getting way too much about me. Let's, yeah. let's go back to movies. Let's go, let's go yeah. back to the, the Are you movies. still... Uh, a lot of these movies are um, not older, but like... Uh, yeah, a lot are from... Yeah. 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 Are you still... I'm older. Like, <laughs> I, I appreciate you're being yeah. very delicate about that. I've learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> 
But um, I think like the most recent movie was Flight, maybe. That might be one. Yeah, which was uh, 2009? Around think, there. Yeah. Um, that might be one of the more, yeah. the, the more recent ones. So are you still as affected by movies or like are you like less impressionable now i'm just curious about that i think in general i mean i think the older you get the less impressionable you are okay. in, in general i mean uh, not just movies but you know other people's opinions yeah other people's judgments um uh, you know a lot of the the shoulds in life sort of fall away and okay you know it's like look i only have X number of days left on the planet. I'm I'm going to do what feels right, you know. Yeah. Um, so I might be less impressionable because I'm sort of at this point who I am. Um, but movies still enthrall me and okay. seduce me and affect me. And I would probably rather sit and watch a movie or go to a movie than just about anything else. I'd certainly rather go to a movie than write. Um, I, would, I, I, I mean, I'm still, uh, you know. What's, You're the first writer we've had that hates writing that much. I don't believe you. I, I can't really? believe Really? I think they're just, maybe they're just not. I'll start asking pro really? more. Yeah. I hate writing passionately. Do you yeah. feel, I don't want to speak in cliches, but do you feel in the sense that you like have to write to like get these things out? Well, if I'm going to, you know, be called a writer, at, like I said, at I, some point, if I, I stop writing, they'll no, notice. No, I meant like if but, you didn't write that you would still like need yeah. to get out your stories. It's, it, you know, the whole, oh, I hate writing thing. You know, oh, it's so difficult. Oh, I, it's just, you know, it's like, come on, Tara. You yeah. know, get it, so stop writing. Um, yeah. I, I think it was Gord Vidal. Um, I'm trying to remember. Some uh, writer, some writer was complaining, some young writer was complaining about how hard it is to write. And I think it was Gord Vidal said something like, so stop writing. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. No one's going to miss you. You know, it's that hard. Um, I think so. I, a couple people have told me that they love telling stories. Mm. And this is like the medium that they've found. But, um, I've, yeah, I've, I mean, I think it's a different experience. To sit and talk with someone and, and verbally share a story is completely different to yeah. me from um, putting it into words and committing it to paper. Um, I guess I, I do get that. And I do, it is sort of a love-hate thing. I just want to be clear. That, uh, sure. that when I When I finally sit down <laughs> and I'm doing it, I sort of, you know, I'm in the zone. I'm in the groove. It's a, it's a love-hate thing. Of it course. is, it is like a high. Um, and I do have that wake up in the middle of the night with, um, the sentence in my head or the idea in yeah. my head, the image in my head, the character in my head that it's not going to go away. I, I, ha- it is, I, there is, I have to sit down. It's going to be a short story. It's going to be a book. It's yeah. going to be something. So that, that does happen. And you're, you've written three other books that are fiction, um, before this. Three. Alcatraz, yeah, yeah. Um, a child out of Alcatraz, the list, and Rockaway. Rockaway, right. Yeah. So, um, did you always want to tell your story like through this medium of like movies, or did that was this book like born memoir and film studies, or did it become that? Um, I never wanted to write a straight memoir. I never okay. had any interest in doing that because um, I, I, I'm. I'm, I've not, I'm not that interesting. I haven't. It's you know, I like okay, okay. yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not that interesting. So I would never I would never have sat down to write a straight memoir. I I I had had that idea about how to be a writer and I had sort of started working on an essay about that and then I started thinking about all of these other aspects of my identity that have been influenced by film. Yeah. Um you know, uh, uh, mental illness, death, love, sex, faith, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And but I felt like I couldn't write a book about film either. I'm not a film scholar. I've never studied film. And I thought, well, wait a minute, maybe there's something interesting here. Maybe there's a way to talk about film that I love 
um, you know, if I were going to write a book, a nonfiction book, what do I know? I, I know knitting. I know dogs. Um, yeah. I, I mean, things that I loved that I would want to write about. Knitting, dogs, movies, books. And so I thought, well, maybe this isn't a way to write about movies in a way that I don't have to pretend that I'm a film scholar because I can make it more personal. And maybe this is a way to write some personal stories that is a l- little less navel-gazing sure. and self-absorbed because I can filter it through um, this sort of larger, more universal experience of watching film. Okay. So I, I was hoping that one would illuminate the other. Yeah, and, and it did. <laughs> Thank you. So. Yeah. And then tell me about what's coming up next. Do you have another book coming out of short stories? I do. I have a short story collection cool. coming out this fall um, called Ball. Ball, okay. <laughs> um, Is there like an overarging theme or no, balls? Dis- balls. Dis- dysfunction, um, okay. pain, uh, Oh, I've never heard anything about that before. There's blood, <laughs> there's sex, um, there's okay. cactuses, there's dogs. Sounds there's, like a ball. Just kidding. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. But it's, cool. Ball, ball is meant in sort of a dark way. It's, and when is that out? That is out. Oh, we don't have a pub date yet, but I think it's probably November. All right. This Maybe. year? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. And then where can everybody find you, um, like, online, like, social media? Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay. I've got a website that is um, so ridiculously out of date and <laughs> and embarrassing, and I really need to find a website person and reach it. <laughs> so it's uh, my website's taraison.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. I both Twitter and Facebook. It's Tara Eisen writer. Great. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not very tech savvy, but I'm, I'm being dragged kicking and screaming into doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, this was so much fun. Thank you. Thank, Jeff, thank you for yeah, having me so much. Course. I appreciate your, your reading the book. And oh yeah. Asking questions. All right. Thanks. Thank you. All right, guys, we will see you next week. Um, until then, you can find me on social media at JeffMasters1 on Twitter and all of our other interviews at iTunes, YouTube, all the places, and BookCircleOnline.com. Thanks. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to BookCircleOnline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.